0: To a Hope 1032 podcast. Last night, we began to look at the miracles of Jesus from the historical point of view. If you reject the existence of God and think that the laws of nature are the only things governing the universe, then no amount of historical evidence is going to be good enough to convince you of something miraculous. Your assumption leads you to reject the miracles of Jesus. But if, on the other hand, you suspect there is a God behind the laws of nature, then given how strong the historical evidence is, accepting Jesus' miracles is going to be perfectly rational. But tonight, I want to move on to the more important question. What is the significance of Jesus' miracles from the point of view of the first century Gospels? Well, in addition to displaying Christ's power and compassion, the miracles have at least... Two important theological dimensions. The first has to do with ancient Israel specifically, and the second has to do with the entire creation. Hope you can bear with me as we explore these two things. At the heart of the Jewish faith, the faith which Jesus himself shared, was a covenant or agreement between God and Israel made 1,300 years before Jesus. God promised to bless Israel as long as the nation reciprocated with worship of the Creator and justice toward other creatures. If Israel refused the path of worship and justice, so the covenant declared, their nation would experience a host of agreed-upon nationwide disasters, Among these disasters, according to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, were a whole bunch of physical ailments that would come upon the Israelites. These included fever, leprosy, madness, blindness, lameness, and so on. You should read Deuteronomy 28 for yourself for the complete and rather depressing list. Anyway, the important thing is, Many Jews in Jesus' day knew themselves to be living under precisely these curses, and justifiably so, Israel had turned its back on God. The nation courted pagan deities and mistreated the poor and the marginalised. As a result, so the Jewish people themselves affirmed, God let his chosen people be conquered by invaders and plagued with all kinds of diseases, the very ones mentioned in Deuteronomy 28, fever, leprosy, blindness, and so on. The covenant curses of the Old Testament had fallen upon Israel. Now, the only thing softening the Jews' despondency in this period was the presence in the Old Testament of prophecies which stated that after the period of judgment, Israel would again experience a time of healing, and restoration the prophet isaiah in the 8th century declared this and i'm reading from isaiah chapter 34 then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf stopped then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy later in the same book the prophet says that this healing of israel would come through the ministry of a mysterious servant of the Lord. This servant of the Lord would himself bear the punishment of Israel and so deliver his people from the covenant curses mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, here's the thing it's in this biblical context that the healings of Jesus have to be understood. Jesus' repeated healing of just the sorts of ailments mentioned in the Old Testament fever, skin disease, blindness, madness, lameness and so on were a sign to ancient Jews that the covenant curses were being lifted from Israel. In short, Jesus' healing ministry was a profound theological statement to Israel that the covenant curses described in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy and elsewhere were being lifted in the ministry of the Messiah. The old covenant, with its blessings and curses, was being annulled. God's new covenant, which would be for all nations, was being enacted. That is a major aspect of how the Gospels understand Jesus' miracles of healing. They were the undoing of the curses on Israel. But there's a second, equally important biblical understanding of the miracles of Jesus. It doesn't have to do with Israel specifically, it has to do with the whole world, in fact the whole creation. Let me explain. Put simply, Jesus' deeds of miracles are portrayed in the Gospels as a sign within history of the restoration of all things at the end of history. Jesus' power over sickness evil, and nature itself are a preview, you could say, of God's coming kingdom. This is a point Jesus himself makes at the end of a dispute with the Pharisees over his healing and exorcism of a blind and mute man in Matthew chapter 12. For the Pharisees, Jesus' miracles indicated the presence of devilish sorcery. They say, quote, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. For Jesus, though, his healing work indicates the presence not of the prince of demons, but of God's kingdom. Jesus says back to them these important words. Let me quote. But if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. There it is. The kingdom of God has come upon these people in the healings and exorcisms of Jesus. The important thing is Jesus usually described God's kingdom as a future reality when all creation will be brought into conformity with the wise and loving purposes of the Creator. In the well-known Lord's Prayer, for instance, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Your kingdom come. This is a plea for the arrival of God's kingdom over the world. If you yourself have ever wished that God would overthrow evil, undo sickness and prove himself to be in control of the creation, you too have wished for the kingdom of God, even though you might not have put it like that. Here in Matthew chapter 12, though, Jesus says that this longed-for future kingdom is somehow already present in his ministry of restoring the sick and oppressed. The kingdom of God has come upon you, he says. The promised future kingdom was temporarily experienced within history in the startling deeds of jesus evil was overthrown frail bodies were restored nature itself was put in order the kingdom of god had in miniature come upon the world and as we saw last night it left its mark throughout our ancient sources both christian and non-christian sources As much as the miracles point to Jesus' compassion and authority, fundamentally they preview the renewal of all things in the kingdom to which Jesus invited all of us. Let me make a couple of comments about the significance of Jesus' miracles for today. Firstly, I want to make clear that I believe God in his mercy chooses to heal people today. Sometimes through our prayers, sometimes without them. He did this in the Old Testament, he did it in the New Testament, and the New Testament itself assures us he promises to keep doing it today. You can look up James chapter 5 for yourself in the New Testament to discover this. But I want to stress that this is not what the Gospels are trying to get across when they describe Jesus' miracles. What Jesus did in history was not a program that can be reenacted in the ongoing life of the church. It was rather a window into a future reality that is proclaimed by the church. The purpose of Jesus' miracles was not to evoke a belief in miracles today, it was rather to inspire a longing for the day when God's kingdom would fully come upon the world when what is previewed in Jesus' healings, exorcisms and mastery over nature will be realized for the whole of creation, when our frail bodies will be restored, when evil will be overthrown and when nature itself will be restored. But having said that, there is another sense in which Jesus' restorative, miraculous deeds did launch a program for the ancient church. Throughout the centuries, Christians have not only prayed, your kingdom come, they've followed it up with the well-known words, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Christians don't just hope for a future pie in the sky. They do what they can here and now to see God's will fulfilled. Because they glimpse the future In the restorative deeds of Jesus, they commit themselves here and now to serving others just as he did, in whatever way they can, this side of the future kingdom. They relieve suffering at every opportunity. They resist evil wherever they see it. Now, they've by no means done this perfectly. And sometimes in history, I'm sad to say, the church has been the source of evil and suffering. But whether it was the first century creation of international poverty programs or the third and fourth century founding of hospitals and hospices open to all, or the 18th century movement to abolish slavery throughout Europe, the followers of Jesus have led the way in seeking to relieve suffering and overturn evil. And they were motivated in large part by what they saw of Jesus in the Gospels. And the logic is simple. We don't yet possess all the resources of the future kingdom, but in Jesus, we do see its aims to restore human life and put an end to evil, and these aims shape what we strive for here and now. Let me say that again, because the logic is really important. We don't yet possess all of the resources of the future kingdom, but in Jesus Especially in his healings, we see the aims of the kingdom to restore human life and put an end to evil. And these aims should shape what we strive for here and now. In a very real sense, we still follow Jesus the healer. Hope 1032. Thanks for listening.